0: I don't usually like sermons like this, I don't like teachings like this, they're a little bit too introspective and maybe even too self-centered or inwardly focused that I would like them to be. Uh, But because this is the weekend of TRP's third anniversary, I wanted to spend some time reflecting on where we have been in the past, where we are right now, and where I hope that we will go uh, together in the future. On a typical Sunday, especially for visitors, what we usually do is we just work our way through books of the Bible or large sections of the Bible. And for those of you that have been with us, you know that our current book of Mark, uh, we spent 35 weeks looking very extensively at the life and then eventually the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's going to be a projected 50 or so uh, week series. So that's what we do on a normal um, week to week basis. But tonight we're going to be looking at the Bible, but I think the feel of it is going to be a little bit different. This talk is going to be part confession, part thanksgiving, part inspiring speech, I hope, um, part challenge. I'd like to start with the confession. On the days leading up to TRP's very first Sunday evening service nearly three years ago, I was scared. For those of you that know me, you know that that's not a big uh, groundbreaking claim. I'm kind of a head case and I can live right in this general region. But on that particular Sunday, I was scared that we had made a huge mistake. I was scared that our departure from Remedy Church, where Doug and I served for um, a little bit over a year, would be perceived as a church split. I was scared that it would be perceived as something born out of an unhealthy discontentedness or something that others might determine to be more destructive than than actually beneficial. I was also under a sneaking suspicion um, that it might be really unnecessary to start yet another Baptist church in Salisbury led by young white men. But my most dominant fear that day was more selfish. I was scared that nobody was gonna show up. I was scared that we would be embarrassed I was scared that we would fail. I think that failure is one of those things that that we often come back to, especially for college students as you're thinking about graduating and what you're gonna do next or people that are young in your careers. You might think that putting yourself out there and being vulnerable and trying to do something or follow a calling that you really don't feel um, equipped to answer, it can be be pretty uh, daunting. Other than my insecurities, which, if we're being honest, they tend to reappear from time to time. I haven't quite overcome all of those. I don't remember a lot about our first night together. Uh, We started as a house church, so Doug and I drove over to Salisbury Christian School where I was teaching at the time, and we stole and or borrowed 15 or so folding chairs that we would put in the Millwoods. front room so that people could have a spot to sit. We also took some music stands. I think we set up a TV in the corner of that room so that the songs that Ryan and Emmy and I were planning on playing, that people could see the words and then sing along with us. I imagine that in that music set we included a hymn. I've got a real soft spot for traditional church which is why when we ended up being here, it was kinda like, This is a place where you go to sing hymns and you light candles and it's really neat. But I I love that formal liturgy, that call and response. And I know that we're still kind of catching on. And for some of you, it seems like really, really old, tired stuff. But um, I was even having a conversation with somebody last week where they were wondering about um, why we didn't pray more spontaneously from time to time. And and one of the answers that I came back with was a confession like the one that we read, I might not... um, be led there spontaneously, but the fact that we're working through it, it can challenge us and it can teach us and it can instruct us. That night we put the kids in the back room and we were only separated by a dining room and a single pane glass door and we soon found out that we could hear everything that those kids were doing, Uh, especially the McKinney boys. If you know them, they're, they're quite rambunctious and we could hear all the stuff that was going on. About 20 people showed up that first night, and after you count all of the families that were involved, the Twillies and the Millwoods and then Kate and I and Doug and his whole tribe of folks, that only meant that there was a couple of students that showed up from Salisbury Christian School and then a handful of Remedy folks that showed up just to to show some support. That night we sang songs, we prayed together, we concluded with communion, but before we we did that, uh, we looked at a few excerpts from the book of Mark. Uh, You can see a theme there in my life, I keep coming back to it. And we also announced that the name of this church that we were starting was gonna be the Restoration Project. And that night of all nights, I was just super embarrassed by that because I couldn't imagine my grandparents ever telling anyone that they went to a church called the Restoration Project. Can you you get there with me? It was also the first time that we, together in a room, pitched the vision of what we were trying to do and who we were trying to be and who we thought God was calling us um, to become in this area. If you've spent any amount of time with us, you've probably heard me or Doug say something along these lines. We believe that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God is restoring all things, including us. In the early chapters of Mark, Jesus announces the inbreaking of the kingdom. He says, now is the time, here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. Now, some scholars would say that in this announcement, what Jesus is doing is he's announcing that God's dream for the world is actually coming true. And this is helpful because it places Jesus within a larger, overarching story of the Bible from the very beginning up until this point. Something had gone wrong. Something had gone wrong that humanity had actually caused. And something uh, had gone wrong that Israel was unable to fix on their own. And this was a story that was marked by sin and failure, but the good news was and continues to be that this sin and failure was being put to rights through the obedience of Jesus. Jesus, in other words, was bringing restoration. Through him, everything was about to change. The very landscape of human history, everything from beginning to end was changing. And his audience would witness it they would experience it. If they believed in him and if they followed him, they would also participate in it. Jesus' miracles in Mark provide some evidence of this. He casted out demons. He walked on water and stilled stormy seas. He healed people. He raised people from the dead. He... healed blind folks and deaf people and he restored folks to the community that had been ostracized and cast out. He offered something, a chance of inclusion perhaps maybe for the first time to the poor and the marginalized, the sinners and the prostitute, those who had been written off or who had written themselves out of the story. Jesus says, come, follow me. The more time we spend in this book and the more time we see Jesus doing ministry, the more I'm struck by the radical nature of what he was all about. People's lives were being changed. Like the woman who was hemorrhaging for 12 years, who was bleeding, that couldn't find a cure, that went to doctor after doctor and nothing seemed to work and she thought to herself, if I could just be in the same space as Jesus and just maybe reach out and touch the hem of his robe, perhaps that would be all that I need to be restored. People's lives were changed, like Jairus, who was one of the synagogue leaders, the uppity-ups of the religious community of the time, who humbled himself and said, Jesus, if you can do anything to save my daughter who is sick, do it. As that story unfolds, somebody comes up and says, Jairus, your kid's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. But Jesus says, just keep trusting And we see Jesus going into the room of this little girl and saying those words that have come to mean so much to a few of us, Talitha Kum. Little girl, it's time to wake up now. People's lives were being changed like Levi, the tax collector who had basically stabbed everyone in the back and said, forget you guys, I'm gonna go try to make a quick buck. And Jesus says, hey, I want you to be a part of what we're doing. People's lives were changed like the Syrophoenician woman, a foreigner who had no business being in this story, who went and advocated to Jesus on behalf of her demon-possessed daughter, fighting for the scraps that fell off of the table, saying, Jesus, do something. I know that you can. People's lives were changed like the deaf and mute man or the blind man or the man with leprosy, each of whom had been cast out of this community who had been left without hope. Even the people who followed Jesus to hear him teaching who were without food, when Jesus took those few fish and those loaves and broke them and blessed them and sent them out and fed them, their lives were changed. The good news of Jesus was not reduced to an altar call. It was not reduced to an inward spiritual change. It produced real life, tangible results that people could see that set them on a completely different path. As Doug and I were thinking through what TRP would look like in those early stages, and even now, we were inspired by this. We were challenged by this. In many ways, we were convicted by it because when we looked at our own lives, we weren't always sure what Jesus was doing in us or through us, and we didn't necessarily have these stories that we could hold on to knowing that he was up to something good. When Jesus announced the inbreaking of the kingdom in this first chapter of Mark, he commanded hearers to change their hearts and lives and to trust the good news. Some translations say repent and believe, but I think that phrase about changing your hearts and lives kind of gets at the sense of what's going on in this text. Jesus was saying that now is the time to completely and utterly align oneself with what God is doing It was a complete reorientation of one's entire life. It wasn't merely adding a morning devotion or a prayer here or there. It was something that was completely transformative. It meant following Jesus, which meant leaving behind everything, committing yourself to him, being shaped by his teaching, being about what he is about. It meant embodying grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and goodness and hope. It meant becoming a people who do not merely wait for heaven, but rather becoming a people who bring it to earth. It meant becoming a people who collectively and individually fight for justice and restoration. We think this invitation is similar for us today. And three years ago, that's the vision of what this is that we pitched to people. We invited folks into a larger story of restoration, not as individual recipients of grace, but as part of a community who participates and together build for the kingdom. We believe that through Christ and the power of his spirit, our efforts will have a real life tangible payoff, that people's lives will be changed. The message of Jesus is not just good news spiritually. It's not just about the forgiveness of sins, though that is massively important. It's it's about the complete transformation of the world through Jesus Christ. And we get to be a part of it. To me, that is the essence of this good news is that God says, in the midst of all of our failures, in the midst of all of our strivings, he says, I want you, and I want to use you for what I'm doing in this world. When Doug and I got ordained uh, early spring, into the summer, whatever, uh, the way it worked is we sat down on chairs, and if you guys were here, you know there was this time where people could come up and just you know, pray for us, or give us a pat on the back or encouragement or whatever and one of the things that meant so much to me in that moment uh, was a friend of mine who I was not expecting to come up to the front because he's just not that type of guy but as he got up here he said I'm with you now let's get stuff done and I've been thinking through like my relationship with Jesus and how that seems to be what he's asking of us. I'm with you, now let's get something done. Folks started to show up on Sunday nights, it was mainly young people, it was a lot of college students and and folks that had um, spent some time with me at at Salisbury Christian School, and then they started inviting people, which was humbling and which was exciting. Uh, We soon outgrew the Millwoods house and we moved into Bethany Lutheran, which is a place that a lot of you would still call home. Whenever we go back there, I hear from five or ten people like, I love this place. This has been so special to me in in my walk with Jesus. Um, But together at, at that time, through the transitions into that space, and even here, we began the hard work of building community building relationships with one another fighting together for the cause of Christ in this area and as I was reflecting uh, this week on the past three years many stories came to mind about the things that we have been through and the things that we have done some of these stories were funny I've I've kind of come back to this on a few times but recall if you will for the handful of you that were there the time that we were having uh, communion And Doug was leading the communion and he took the bread and he said, now Jesus took the bread and he breasted it. That's fine, slip of the tongue, what have you. What made this particularly interesting is the fact that there was a young lady breastfeeding off to the side and that young lady's husband said, I know where your mind's at and just kind of derailed the whole thing. It was, it was a moment, and it was one that at least the, the leadership keeps coming back to and giving Doug a really hard time. And I know that whenever Doug is up here breaking that bread, you can see just the concentration on his face to say, I will say he broke it and he blessed it together. Some of these stories that were flooding into my mind were just inspiring. Cassidy, I remember one, one day, I'm okay, don't mind me. I remember one day, is when you had your yellow Jeep and you showed up and there was a bunch of people that I had never seen before in it. And I said, "Cassie, who are all these people? And you said, I don't know. They just needed a ride and I I gave them one. Um, I remember one night Tessa was kind of off to the side listening to the sermon and she's she's artsy so she was doing her own thing. Uh, And then she came up during communion and she sang a song and later she said, was that song okay? And I was like, oh, I guess so, whatever. She said, okay, good, I wrote it during your sermon. I remember when Hannah and Emmy and Rachel Smith um, in that first year took whatever insecurities they may have had and they stood right here and they opened up God's word and they taught with such a clear anointing and calling. Whatever they do with that is, is really up to them. But just seeing them in that moment. And I remember specifically sitting on the front row as Hannah was preaching, because I think she was the first one to go. And I was sitting there thinking, gosh, it's not, it's not about me. It's not about all of my wise words and the way I can hope to who who even knows. I just remember sitting there seeing this 19-year-old girl going for it. Similar story, when Maggie got baptized. Uh, side note, we've been pretty, pretty bad about celebrating baptisms with people. So when Maggie got baptized, there was a handful of folks there, mainly her friends and her family. And each time we do a baptism, we want people to talk. We want people to say like, their story to let people know where, where they come from and where they hope to be going and what Jesus has done to transform their lives. And Maggie sweet little unassuming maggie it's like she took the mic which we didn't have but she like she just went for it in a crazy way where it's like let me tell you something about who jesus is and she just launched into this beautiful 15 minute beachside sermon i am inspired whenever college students show up because i know that there's other things that you could be doing i even get more inspired though when you start to serve and when you start to make this church your home, when you start to take ownership of it. I'm usually floored every time any one of you trusts us enough to bring your family or your friends or people that don't know Jesus and you say, I trust this church family to care for them and to love them, but I think that very little moves me as much as when we see you start to get it. When we see things start to click. It's like that teacher moment, and you can see the light bulb goes off, and you can see people beginning to put two and two together. And it's not just figuring out who Jesus is, but you actually start to forgive yourself, and you start to allow that message of grace. And love becomes something that you take and you hold and it transforms you from the inside out. When people begin to put the fear and insecurity of a call aside and they say, I will leave it all and follow Jesus. When you begin to believe that this maybe, just maybe, this message of hope and forgiveness is for you, it's utterly inspiring. It's moments like these when we can sit around the table and kind of debrief and think that maybe we're doing something right. Our time together has also included some really difficult moments. Um, Because of where we are, our placement, a stone's throw from SU, we've been privileged to know a lot of students and we have celebrated many graduations and many of them have gone back home and every time It's hard. We know that our time with you is limited and we want nothing more than to be able to know you and to help you in whatever way we can and to serve you in whatever way we can and to give you opportunities that you might not get in other churches to preach, to teach, to be involved in small groups, to sing, to do whatever and and grow in your faith. And then if you do leave, to take that back with you and then to be a valuable church member and to be a valuable servant for Jesus. We've also had some families that have followed God's calling by taking jobs or accepting admission into graduate school programs, and we miss them. And it's hard when they leave. We've lost friends and family members. And as a result, we've wept together. We've lamented together. We've asked big questions of God together. We've sat silently together. And it's in those moments that we think maybe, just maybe, we might be doing something right. There've been many other moments in the history of this little church that we believe God has called us to to be a part of. And I'm hopeful that you have your own memories. I know some of you that you're back from college or this is your first time here and this is gonna seem really weird, like this service. Um, But I'm hopeful that for those of you that can call this place home, you've got these memories or you've got these stories that have solidified community, that have solidified Jesus doing something in your life. And now, three, three years later, here we are. For many church plants, that three-year turn is a moment because for many church plants, they're going off of funding and it's their time to become financially self-sustaining, or just self-sustaining in in a normal way. Uh, This transition has proven to be difficult for a lot of church plants because the financial pressure is often too much to handle, pastors are forced to take pay cuts, the budget has to be completely reshaped to accommodate just that that loss of funding, and the end result is in many cases, churches close their doors. Uh, There seems to be a shelf life on church plants like, like this even. Now, don't be too worried because we haven't received a lot in the way of outside funding, so it's not like anything huge is, is changing for us. So in one sense, we're good. We aren't being weaned off of big money, but we still have a long way to go until we can think about being self-sustaining. For example, I just want to throw out a couple of these things. Our dream would be to hire staff so that they can actually focus on you, on their calling. To not have to piecemeal this job and that job and this other thing, but to allow them to be within the center of their calling and be able to provide for their family. We would like to be able to think about finding a space of our own someday. This place is great, and we get it on a dime. It's 25 bucks a week. It's going up to 50 bucks a week, but still, it's, it's cheap, um, but at some point, it would be awesome for us to be able to have the finances to, to leave and to build something and then to grow into that space as well. We would also love to plant churches eventually or support other ministries and nonprofits because we know how difficult it can be. We would love to send people to seminary. We would love to have that finance to, to be able to, to bless people. We want to do all of that with continuing uh, to maintain our our dedication to having money set aside for benevolence and for missional purposes. We're a weird church plant in the sense of we have a a good bit of our budget that goes out the doors to try to bless people. We want to continue to do that. But the fact is, even if somebody wrote us a check tonight for $1 million, which you're more than willing to do, or it's it's fine if you want to do that. There's a basket in the back. Uh, You can can do that. But even if somebody did that, I still don't think that we will be self-sustaining. We don't just need money, we need you. We need your talents, your strengths, your unique callings, your passion, your hopefulness, your encouragement, your time, your service. We need your desire to see lives changed for Jesus. We need your desire to exemplify that change in your own life each and every day, to inspire others, to provide an example, to live in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received. Now, we want to do some practical things. When I say that we want you, I mean, yeah, in some senses, we do. We want to uh, expand our kids' ministry and break it from two rooms into three rooms where we can have the pre-K and kindergarten together um, in, in, a, in a setting that they would actually get something out of it, but that means we need more volunteers. Uh, we want to focus on discipleship, which means we need people who are willing to invite others into their lives, to spend time with them, to be vulnerable with them, to have them over for coffee, to... Um, to break away from their own schedule and their routines and invite folks in to share meals together, to teach and to lead and to make disciples. We want to expand our set up and tear down ministry, which sounds really hokey, but I mean it's, it's, a, it's a need that we have. We want to expand with our greeters and readers and we want people to begin to take ownership of this community, to fight for it, to become passionate about it, to serve it, to invest in it, uh, to partner with us. Now, at the risk of making this sound like a sales pitch, I realize that these things, they're important, but they're all secondary. The new year always uh, is a time for introspection and reflection on what's going on uh, in our lives. And over the past few weeks, I've been faced with the haunting question with regard to our mission and our vision, the reason why we started, the reason why we're doing what we're doing. And the question that keeps coming up into my mind is, are we succeeding? Are we actually doing it? Are we as a community or am I as an individual living in such a way that Jesus is using us to bring about real life change where things can happen and people can see it? Are we being transformed by the gospel? Are we pursuing a life of holiness? Are we passionate about Jesus? Have we forgotten or do we no longer even believe that the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that it changes everything? I don't know. Sometimes I think that we are. Sometimes I think collectively those things are happening and in small doses we we, we see them, but at other times, I wonder if we've been so focused on building a community, on building this church, that we've lost some of the excitement, not just about TRP, but about Jesus. The litmus test that some people have offered for a church to know their worth, is to to fill out this equation, if you left, if you cease to be, would Salisbury, the town where you are planted, would they even know? Maybe. I think that we've created space for people that are processing their faith. I think that we've created space for people that have doubts and questions and they wrestle and they don't feel less than and they don't feel like a second class citizen. They know that they're safe here and they know that they can come to us with their, with their issues and we can maybe help guide them through it. But has any of that translated into people coming to know Jesus? Has that translated into us not just sitting in the midst of, of doubt and question, but moving into faithfulness and trust and hope? Has it translated into our joined efforts to reach people to be the hands and feet of Jesus? I don 't know. Over the next few weeks, uh, I want to focus our attention on some of the big things that we're trying to do in 2016 yeah you might hear us talk about like yeah we want to do an extra kids room and we need more kids volunteers but at the heart of it it's this is not about that uh, it's not about us like trying to drum up volunteers to do setup and, and tear down although that's still important and that would be lovely um, what we want to do is to challenge you And to challenge all of this, if we've gotten to the place where our faith in Jesus is just that thing that we do or it's just that thing that we claim to be true that hasn't really taken hold of us, to allow us a few weeks to shake ourselves out of that and to do something different. We want the ministries of this church to expand. I would love to see these pews filled every week with people who are hungry. Not because we put on a good show, but because we talk about Jesus and we ask people into that story. We want though more than anything is just to see people's lives changed. And maybe that's yours. It's very possible that we have existed in the same space for some time and things have just become what they are and we're not challenging each other and we're not growing and we're just kind of here and stagnant. I'm hopeful that when we focus on these objectives, it's going to help to inspire us to do the hard work, to provide a compelling image of Jesus to the world around us, to invite others into this great project of restoration, to see it, to experience it, to participate in it, to believe in it, to get excited about it once again, and to see how that takes over who we are and allows Jesus to do work in and through us. Jesus says, now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. It's our hope that in the midst of whatever it is that we have going on, that this gospel message of a broken people needing redemption and needing restoration that's only available through Jesus, that when we accept that, it's not something that's just there and it just is an additive, but it's something that completely transforms everything that we are because I believe that's the only way that this church will be worth anything is if we collectively as a people participate in bringing heaven to earth, participate in justice and love and goodness and hope, and that we spread that to the people around us each and every day.